All right, guys. Welcome, welcome. Hey, welcome back. Yes. So today <laughs> we're going to be talking about self-imposed barriers to success. And uh, we were actually just talking about this before even starting the podcast. Uh, we were, th- we were, we actually thought we were going to have a guest today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, life gets busy sometimes, and you just end up forgetting what the hell you have to do. But apparently, actually, that is next week. So uh-huh. that's funny. So. So you guys just get us this week. Exactly. So um, I guess to start off, um, one thing I did notice is uh, with, with people and myself, and I'm sure you could relate, um, whenever we try to take on some kind of a new task or try to do something that's, that's good for us, that's not something that we're used to, yeah. um, there's this, we're met with this kind of resistance. And it's feels, it feels weird because... Uh, you, especially when in starting a new task, you think it's like no, just the difficulty of that task. But it, there's actually something else going on um, inside of us, and it's it's as if uh, whenever we undertake something new, we we almost want to preserve um, the old, like what we were used to. Right. And anytime we encounter something new, we don't want to we don't want to try it. At least. Not consciously. It's weird. It's like this this resistance we're met with, and I don't know. I was wondering what you think. Like uh, one about that. Maybe you could um, add more to that. But then also maybe what what we could do to mm-hmm. kind of bypass that or, or yeah. not resist. So I mean, interestingly enough, it goes back to you know kind of sort of the Buddhist sort of era and the Buddhist times, right? Where Buddhists said the thing that we resist most is the state of sort of life, right? We the state of fluctuation. And so for Buddha, the idea was that the more you sort of resist that, the more you resist, you know, the kind of flow of things as they are, essentially the more unhappy that you'll be. And so in the context of sort of our own barriers and in the context of success, we tend to actually sort of resist change, even if that change is good for us. So there's so many different facets to it, right? There's sort of our self-image and the way we kind of see and envision ourselves. And then there's also kind of life, right? There's sort of the world around us, the environments that we live in. And so for us, a lot of the times what we want to do is actually sort of preserve ourselves and sort of maintain our own sort of little cocoons or self-created world. And so we know kind of sort of from an existential perspective, right, kind of, um, let's say more of a, let's say biological, environmental perspective, we are creatures who don't like change, right, because change is very scary for us. So change is something that we can't really fully control, right, and change is in a sense unpredictable. And so for us as creatures, right, sometimes even, again, say, say like, let's say if it's something that if it's something that could be a good thing, right, we might actually sort of resist it or rebel against it because it's not something that we're comfortable with. And so I love that we chose this topic because I think that there are so many different facets of it. There's this idea of that I'm fighting against my own success, right? And why in the world would I do that? There's sort of the trauma perspective of all of this, of why would I sort of sustain an unhealthy relationship, right? Despite the fact that I may be chronically traumatized over and over again by a particular person, or let's say in a particular context that I actually may have this sort of means of escaping, or let's say kind of walking away from. Mm -hmm. And then there's always like, you know, the fact that, you know, kind of as a whole that we just sort of we don't really like change that it's just not a part of who we are and so and it's like it's not only sort of protective right but it's also connected to our own sort of self-esteem and so what I want to do and what I hope that we're going to do in the show is kind of unpack some of those ideas right and sort of look at change and look at the resistance to change and in particular the resistance to success right within those kind of various contexts in terms of self-image in terms of let's say one's environment and what that means and kind of look at it from a more holistic perspective. Mm. Well, it seems like one thing that we're trying to do all the time is control our environment. We want the world to make sense. Mm-hmm. I could even understand, um, this is not my particular um, specialty, but I could understand from a biological perspective. We want our world to make sense because we need to survive. We need uh, certain uh, resources, all that. We, we want to make sure that we, we have those things and things are pretty much routine and kind of the same more or less every day Mm -hmm. anticipate some changes whether this that all that but um it's 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 funny that um that we it's strange because the nature of life itself uh, going back to what you were talking about with uh, buddha and the nature of life but this the only uh thing that's constant in the world it seems when you observe is change right. change is the only constant and it's funny that we don't behave in a way 
uh, or at least not all of us behave in a way that's in alignment with that. Mm -hmm. And I could see some reasons why we don't do that because uh, if things are changing all the time and we're changing with them all the time, this is, sort of, this is kind of, uh, it's not chaotic, but there's not some, there's not a, a feeling of, of control. Unpredictable, right? It's so unpredictable. things are always changing, right? How the hell do we know when they're gonna change and how they're gonna change? Because if the environment, let's say, is dissimilar, maybe, let's say, and I'm kind of exaggerating for a fact, every time you turn around, right, then of course we feel unsafe in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I could see the, the reason why we try to control things, yep. make them more or less consistent. Um, but I feel like as much as that's a, a, one of the greatest things about us as humans that we try to control the environment, we can make things more or less consistent. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Um, on one level, yes, uh, we, we might be able to create that feeling that things are more or less consistent, but at the same time, when undertaking new tasks that are unpredictable, kind of outside of our current um, reality or scope of what we uh, see ourselves as doing or, or any, anything outside of what we know, mm -hmm. um, that, that resistance that we experience can be very detrimental, especially in modern society. Uh, say we're talking about um, a kid, a uh, child, uh, growing up, the, they go through the motions of going to school, uh, college, and, they, and, and the thing is, uh, then they get out into the working world, all that. But the thing is, a lot of these things, they sound very simple when you lay them out. Like, this is step one, step two, step three. But a lot of things require, like for example, let's say going on your first job interview. That's outside of your reality. That yeah. definitely was outside of my reality when I first tried something like that. Yeah. And it was... It was scary. I didn't. I didn't know what I was gonna say. I thought I was. I would practice what I thought was what you needed to say during an interview and all that. Mm -hmm. But it was. Um, it's strange. It was. I even. I believe actually there were times when I didn't even go on an interview. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think I did right. have that once or twice where I didn't or where I avoided applying for work. Ah, okay. So you sort there of you, you in a sense sabotaged yourself. Yeah, right. unnecessarily, mm -hmm. because if I was really behaving the way you, you know, the way life behaves in the sense that there, there's always this constant change, things are always uh, in, in flux, mm -hmm. so to speak, um, having not felt uh, aligned with that, the way that life is, mm -hmm. I encountered that resistance and actually many times let it overtake me. Mm -hmm. and. The only time that the only times that I did overcome that resistance was when I came into contact with tools, uh, whether it be online videos on YouTube or mm -hmm. a podcast or yep. um, someone. Or actually, you know what? Even someone in life. Sometimes you do meet someone who's kind of like a mentor figure, and even somebody who's supportive. I mean, we all need support, right? From not only just kind of let's say mentors, but also friends and family. Where I can tell you that there are times, like literally when you guys, right, when sort of I went on and tried to do something, and you guys were the ones, the things that really sort of helped me, were kind of the things that propped me up to help me do whatever it was that I was looking to kind of accomplish. And so for me, like, I am a highly, highly, highly avoidant person. So it's like if I can avoid something that's anxiety producing, I will try my best to. And I will kind of go on and I'll sort of do this for as long as potentially possible. But the thing is, a lot of times, and for us, I mean, it's kind of hard to admit as human beings, right? But we are, in a sense, sort of dependent on one another. Where we're dependent on one another in terms of kind of having a strong support network. And interestingly enough, in terms of mental health, the sort of the biggest predictor, right, sort of in terms of kind of distress, is the biggest predictor of, let's say, the maintenance of mental health within that context of distress is literally a strong support network. So there's a so the difference between let's say and I am simplifying this the difference between let's say somebody who does and doesn't develop PTSD after a significant trauma right and this is not true for everyone this is basically on average is literally a strong support network is having sort of people behind you saying like hey you know what you can do it because a lot of times the enemies are not sort of these people without they're literally within mm -hmm. so it's not so much of um, kind of, and I, we were sort of presented with this. I don't know if you've ever read, like, let's say, and I haven't read it, I know of it, and I've read about it, Atlas Shrugged. Right, sort of this Ayn Rand, kind of this capitalistic ideal of here's this sort of great innovator who has nothing but their own resources, right? And the world is against them, right? The world is full of enemies. And this re and this John Gold. 
Galt, I think. Well, was yeah, that was who is John Galt. But so the first, the main character in the uh, in the film was um, I think was it Howard Rourke or Henry Reardon? Oh, yeah, I, I always mix that up. That and the Fountainhead. So I think it was Henry Reardon or Hank Reardon. Yeah. So essentially, in the film, right? Well, well, in the film, and also the sort of idea is that here are these great innovators, and essentially the world is full of sort of demonic figures who are parasitic. Right, and what I actually find not only in my own life but in the lives of sort of the people I know is it's actually the opposite. That it's actually our own selves who are parasitic, right? And of course, again, it's not meant to be black and white. They're obviously parasitic individuals. But so, but the, for, the essential point is that for us, that we're the actual, we're our own parasites. We drain our own energy with our negative thoughts, with our sort of negative loops, right? And so, especially more so than anything, with our toxic beliefs and expectations of ourselves. And often, it's actually not us who are our own heroes but it's the people around us who say hey you know what I've known you for a really long time and I know that these things are true not the things that you're thinking well yeah I mean um, I don't want to get too off the topic here but yeah your, your support network the people that are closest to you um, there's that saying uh, the, pe the five people who are closest to you kind of uh, mainly represent your personality mm -hmm. And that is very important as well. That can actually help to move you in the direction you want if you surround yourself um, consciously or unconsciously. But, I mean, if you know about this, then consciously. Surround yourself with people who are kind of doing the things that you want to do or, or if they're living lives in a better way and you kind of want to emulate that. Having those kinds of people around you definitely push you a little bit yep. uh, past that resistance. Um, What's interesting is that Atlas Shrugged, um, mental, I want to say paradigm mm -hmm. of other people being yes. parasites and all that, mm -hmm. and you, everything's for, you know, for yourself and all that. Actually, you know what's, I, I'm going to say something a little controversial here sure. about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, <laughs> I think that that's not the highest, uh, like let's say paradigm mm -hmm. that you can operate from, mm -hmm. but I think that it's a useful paradigm and somewhere along the hierarchy of mindsets you might have mm -hmm. about how to live in this world. Yeah. It may be higher than whatever is the lowest one. I know I'm being general here, mm -hmm. uh, but yes, uh, seeing it as, as the parasites come from within, not from without, mm -hmm. that the enemy the only enemy to ever... Oh, this is interesting. I remember that movie now, Revolver. Again? Yeah, I love yeah. it. I was thinking of it too. And there's, there's that yeah. quote. Uh, the only enemy to have ever existed is an eternal one. Right. And they're referring to the one that lives with you your whole life. Yep. And that one is, uh, is ego. Uh, yeah. So, here's the thing. Uh, what you think of yourself or your own capabilities or when you're met with uh, resistance when trying to accomplish a new task. That's sort of like this mental construct that's starting to be, uh, I almost want to represent this visually, mm -hmm. like it's starting to kind of be shooken up a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's as if um, by trying something new, it's almost like as if this thing is crumbling apart, the structure that existed before. Mm -hmm. And it, feels at first like that's wrong. It feels wrong, so I must not do this, mm -hmm. right? But if you, here, just take it from me and from Leon as well, if you do experience resistance when you are doing something new, that's supposed to happen, and when you know that that's supposed to happen, mm -hmm. you have a different relationship to the things that you undertake. Yeah. Yes, it's still scary, and, and actually, Believe it or not, not as scary once you're actually doing the things you're supposed to do. Yeah. For instance, this podcast, mm -hmm. before we did it, uh, well, actually it was exciting when we first started talking about it, but then when it's coming to the actual day of filming it and preparing it, and does this work, does that work, what, do we need this other thing, and yada, 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 a lot of these things come into play and kind of start to shake you up a little bit. But once you actually start to do the task, that you don't feel those feelings. Like right now, mm -hmm. I feel completely like yeah. <laughs> chill. It's cool and chill. <laughs> it's cool and chill, yeah. Uh, and before this, um, for instance, when I was thinking, okay, we're gonna have the guest on today and all that, yeah. I didn't feel, it's not, it wasn't nerves, or well, maybe because we did this a couple of times before. Ah, okay, sorry, so <laughs> little tangent here. Yeah. When you build competency, in the new task so even when you do something that first time and you're met with that resistance 
uh, be assured that the next time you do it, depends on what the task is, there will be a marked there will be a difference uh, in the amount of resistance you may feel. Yep. You may still feel it, mm -hmm. but then as you progressively undertake that task, what's a good word? Do I want to say progressive desensitive? No, it actually, yeah, you're right. Sorry, that, wow. that, no, yeah, that, that's so it's, yeah, so um, the progressive desensitization, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's actually it. So, and the thing is, so I love that you brought that concept in because it's actually connected to another concept. So when we talk about kind of systemic, well, systemic or systematic desensitization, right? So we're using kind of therapy terms here. And in particular, in this case, it's behavioral therapy. So, but interestingly enough, Albert Ellis, who I think I may have mentioned on the show before, I'm mm -hmm. not exactly sure. So, but he was the founder of something called Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. And so for Albert Ellis, right, he kind of had this really, really wonderful system of explaining our fear. So when you just talked about the podcast, right, the thing that sort of stood out for me was this idea of anxiety, right? Like, you know, what if it doesn't work out, right? What about, oh my God, we need all of these things, right? What if they don't happen? What if we don't get them done? And so remember last episode, we talked about using the cognitive thought record, right? And so my question, right, in this case, right, because it always, in a sense, comes back to us, right? I would always ask something along the lines of, okay, so let's say if you fail, right, what does this mean about you? And sometimes we don't really think about that. We sort of bypass the whole process where we're just saying to ourselves something along the lines of, if this podcast doesn't work out, you know, like I'm going to be miserable. Um, let's say if this podcast doesn't get enough views, I'm going to be miserable. If let's say something goes wrong, I'm going to be miserable whatever it is right but the idea is that we're really jumping and this is kind of how Ellis, Ellis would conceptualize it we're jumping from A to C we're jumping from the event which in this case would be let's say and kind of in general terms sort of the failure of the podcast to C and C is essentially kind of the affect right the sort of emotional state of the podcast failed right therefore I feel like shit but what we're actually missing is the B part right and this is where the thought record comes in and the B part is essentially the interpretation of that particular event so it's not so much of I failed therefore I feel right it's I failed therefore I think therefore I feel so there's a B and C so the A is the event the B is the interpretation of the event and the C is the feeling right mm -hmm. so and remember we talked about in the thought record that there's this sort of distinction between disappointment and devastation so one interpretation says you know what I really really wanted this episode to work out right and unfortunately something went wrong where it didn't right like um, last week like the perfect example right we had a very yeah episode. yeah we tried to fix it up well, to be fair, okay, my bad. So, okay, I, I, I was working on it uh, with the uh, video editing software that I had. It seemed like I had taken down the Echo, and I, then we, were, we listened to it for a second. Right. It, sounded, it sounded great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the Echo's <laughs> gone. Uh, we saved video, we put it back on YouTube, Echo's there again. This just means technical difficulties. I'm sure it will be fine in the future. Right. But... Uh, but yes, to your point, that is something that, um, yep. quote unquote, you could interpret as having gone wrong. Right. And, um, and, and you could essentially be devastated by it sometimes, right? So, you we, could, yeah. so in this case, let's say we had one of two interpretations. So one interpretation essentially says something along the lines of, oh my God, the podcast is going to fail. I'm a failure, right? And of course, you're going to be devastated. The other interpretation says, you know what? This episode isn't going to be anywhere near as good as it could have been, right? Or as good as I wanted it to be. So I'm really disappointed in that because, you know, we tried really hard and we definitely could have at least, you know, maybe have done something to have made it better. It, it just... It, you know, it just didn't work out. So for us, it's not so much of a lost episode as it is one that's sort of maybe below standard in terms of our own ideals. I like how you call it the lost episode. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, but the two interpretations are really important in terms of the C part, right? The way that we feel. And so for Albert Ellis, what he talked about was labeling, right? For him, labels meant everything. And so he wrote this phenomenal book that had a phenomenal, phenomenally sort of amazing impact on my life, which is called The Myth of Self-Esteem. And so for us, you know, kind of, we know the negative labels, right? So we have, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm worthless, I'm useless, right? These labels, these aren't things that we need to talk about anymore because like, I mean, people know that they're bad. I don't obviously have to convince you that, you know, you shouldn't call yourself a loser or a failure. It's not good. Then you look for evidence of that. Right. And then you could spiral downward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not helpful, right? And we've already kind of established that, that whenever somebody beats themselves up, what they essentially do is yes, yes, with cognitive biases, with mental filtering, they look for evidence to prove it and then on top of that they believe that if this is an inherent part of who I am right why would I try to be or do something better I can't this is who I am 
And so with Ellis, he actually said, but guess what though? The positive labels are actually just as toxic as the ne negative ones. So this idea of I am beautiful, I am intelligent, I am sort of worthy, I am blah, 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 blah. Right, so for Ellis, right, the, the idea of self-esteem essentially means conditional self-regard. That I am, or I feel good about myself if I have these particular traits or if I ascribe to these particular labels. So let's say if I'm intelligent, that means I'm globally intelligent. That means I can't ever make a mistake, I can't ever fail, um, I can't ever walk into a room where I have no idea what the so-called experts are talking about, right, because I am intelligent, that's globally who I am. If I'm beautiful, right, that means I have to be beautiful within every context that I'm in. If I'm in this sort of room of, of like gorgeous celebrities, right, I have to be perceived as being beautiful there. And then also I have to be beautiful every day I walk out of the house. I can't have a bad hair day. I can't have a bad makeup day, right? I have to be this particular thing. And so here's where we self-sabotage. And this is sort of where Ellis makes the pivotal point is that for us, we have a desperation to live up to these particular labels that we have for ourselves. So we're desperate to be intelligent. We're desperate to, let's say, be beautiful. And so what does that mean? So that essentially means that when it comes to intelligence, right, we might not take difficult, let's say if you're in college classes, right, we might not take difficult exams. We might not challenge and push ourselves because we desperately want to hold on to this idea of intelligence. So, and I'm, I can tell you from personal experience, I remember I did this. So when I was an undergrad, because being intelligent was so important to me, I actually forewent to taking kind of really difficult classes. Classes that to me, my let's say my professors were like, no, you should really take this class. It would be good. It's stimulating, challenging. And I was like, nah, you know what? I'll take kind of the more basic classes because they were easy A's. And for me, it was an easy way to shore up my own self-esteem. To say like, oh, hey, look, look how well I thrived in this particular class. You know, of course I'm smart. But it's so delusional, right? So even though, yes, I did thrive in that class, but at the end of the day, it was way beyond, way beneath my level at the time. Mm -hmm. I was a senior, like taking easier classes when I could have just as easily been taking senior level philosophy courses. But what really terrified me from it was losing this label. So for me, it's like if I'm not intelligent, or at that time at least, if I'm not intelligent or if I wasn't, then who the hell am I? And it's the same thing with people who sort of put too much emphasis on their beauty, right? So the idea is that if, let's say, if I am beautiful and X breaks up with me, therefore I'm not beautiful. Therefore, there's something wrong with me, obviously, because if I really were this sort of strikingly, incredibly sort of gorgeous or handsome person, they would have never left me. And so these labels, they're, they're pretty much, not so much that we're our own barriers to success, which we definitely are, but it's definitely our beliefs and our labels and our sort of expectations of what we're supposed to be. Well, I feel like whenever we identify yeah. with those beliefs or ideas that come into your mind, or I suppose... I mean, I guess, yeah, you could label yourself, I am beautiful, I am strong, mm -hmm. I am smart, all that. Um, if you attach who you are to that, which that is something that most people do, yeah, um, yeah that, that'll also create blind spots to, um, uh, like, oper for example, uh, if you think you're uh, super intelligent in order to... Um, retain that identity you do end up taking on tasks that you could easily yeah. uh, undertake well yeah from one level that's that's fine I could see the rationale hey I want to have an easy A I want my GPA to be good um, also my senior year of college I'd like to just get out of here and be done this was a long four years or whatever I hear right? that's just not why I did it oh uh, no yeah, I'm yeah. just yeah. I hear, I see hear. I'm speculating yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, mm -hmm. just to see what I could understand mm -hmm. um but, I mean, hey, counterintuitively, it would be great for your own development and growth if you take it on a task that is a little bit more challenging. It doesn't have to be too challenging. We discussed this in our Flow podcast. You take on a task that um, still suits your skill set, but it's kind of having you lean on your edge. Mm -hmm. You kind of get past um, these, these barriers uh, that, that you have. Right. Um, I, I particularly, I'm not a fan of labels of any kind. Um, I don't like, see, I mean, I, I could under, so again, back to the paradigms thing from before, mm -hmm. I think saying really nice things about yourself is definitely a paradigm above saying shitty things about yes, yourself. Yes, yes, definitely. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says that they're doing that, I wouldn't necessarily knock them for it, but um, I definitely would say that there's other ways to think about it too, but at least it's better than that. So if somebody's doing that, um, I wouldn't say it's bad, I would just say there's other ways to think about it. 
what's another paradigm? What's another way to think about it? I would say maybe don't necessarily put too much, um, too much uh, gravity into labels in general. Yeah. For example, any. If, I mean, nobody has to think like me, but one thing, and really don't. I'm not trying to be like the man on the mountain. Like the last you still have good ideas. Uh, that's true, but just just to put this out there, and mm -hmm. then you make up your own mind about it. Um, yeah, anytime a certain thought comes into my mind about a situation, uh, or or myself, or anything like that, I actually almost completely. It's not that I disregard it, but I don't take it on immediately as truth. I immediately think that there's other perspectives that could be taken. Because yeah. there's many times I've thought. Uh, things and I've been uh, completely wrong. No, I hear you. And even if I've thought about things and I might have been right, it still doesn't mean it doesn't mean. So, for example, being right isn't always the most important thing. Mm -hmm. For example, say uh, hypothetically, um, there is zero. By the way, if anyone's watching, they're like, "Oh, this does there secretly anything going on?" No, but I'm just gonna say this. Say we had an argument or something. Mm -hmm. We never had any kind of argument, <laughs> guys. I'm just throwing this out here. Um, I. Say you're right, mm -hmm. and you're completely right, and uh, that, and we, and through facts and logic, you are completely correct. Mm -hmm. uh, however, um, uh, and and that was sorry, and that was the only perspective taken on it. Who is correct, and how to pos how to uh, make this so that you sound fully correct. Mm -hmm. Thing is, what if you're correct, but then all of a sudden, because we've argued, maybe that just left uh, either either of us or both of us uh, mm -hmm. emotionally kind of depleted mm -hmm. or feeling kind of shitty or something like that. Yeah. But I still want to hear your ideas on labels. No, <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, oh, you're right. Okay, I'll get back to that. Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So then, quickly, just to end that thread. Mm -hmm. It would be important to also recognize, oh, okay, long term, I should be thinking about uh, what's my relationship like yeah. with this person or something like that. Mm -hmm. Which is why I won't let certain, uh, back to labels, I won't let a certain label stick with me or a certain idea about a situation stick with me. Mm -hmm. I'll automatically let 10 or more <laughs> different perspectives kind of float in the air mm -hmm. and then try to integrate that and uh, very come Hegelian. up with something. Yes. Like Wait, what did you say? Very Hegelian, sort of, you know, the thesis and this is a synthesis. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, but um, I would advise, uh, like anyone listening, like labeling yourself um, is it's detrimental, especially when trying to um, do something that's good for you or objectively good for you, I should say. Yeah. Um, if you say to yourself, I'm not good enough or I'm too dumb or something like that, yep. uh, something like that is definitely a gigantic barrier to success. Yep. And, um, and sometimes I would even say I'm sort of too intelligent or I am intelligent or, you know, kind of even outside of the fear of living up to these labels that there's also sometimes a sense of entitlement from people where if I'm beautiful or if I'm intelligent, therefore I just deserve to have these things given to me. So it's not even so much of now, you know, I want to, or I'm afraid of living up or failing to live up to this particular label, but it's, oh my God, now I believe I actually deserve the world to give me these things because I have these labels. And there's this sort of narcissistic grandiosity that exists for some people where it's, I am this person and therefore, you know, you, you bestow your gifts on me and your attention and your sort of care. Yeah, and um, again, uh, thinking like that might be a paradigm above some really bad ways of thinking, mm -hmm. but it's it's not good. Again, you, you too many blind spots to other people's feelings and, and the community around you, gr group of people around you. Yeah. You, for example, it's, well, okay, sorry. Let's end that thread. Mm -hmm. Back to barriers to success in mm -hmm. general. Yeah. Um, it is important for anyone uh, listening to definitely recognize whenever they're trying to do something they haven't done before, that feeling of resistance, mm -hmm. and to do the task anyway, mm -hmm. or take the action anyway, yeah. and know that you're supposed to feel some kind of discomfort. Right, and especially with respect to that particular label that you're desperately trying to hold on to. So if, let's say, the 
Right, just for five seconds, just two seconds. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like even some people do that unconsciously. They might yeah, not even know that they're doing. No, it. absolutely, and that's the thing with labels. So a lot of the times they are unconscious. So you're you're aware of. Remember, we talked about the interpretation is the B part. So you're not aware of that. So you're actually aware of whatever the event is. Let's say in this case the event is again just because obviously we're the ones who are doing this. Let's say filming a podcast, right? So there's filming a podcast, and then there's my fear, right? That's all I'm really aware of. I'm aware that the a the event causes the fear which in this case is technically C but the interpretation is what's the most important part and the interpretation is actually at least somewhere within that is a label right so in the label in this case is what if I'm a failure right what if I'm terrible what if I'm this or that and so the point is with the labels right so you're right I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you that a lot of times it is unconscious but what we are afraid of is literally like and there was something there was a point that you made I think you called it um, confidence preservation right sort of the self-esteem preservation and Alice really t- uh, Alice, I'm sorry. Alice talks on, <laughs> talks on the topic, he speaks on the topic as well, right? So that for a lot of us, of what we do is we really try as hard as we can to preserve our self-esteem. So for him, why he calls it a myth is because he essentially says that it doesn't really exist in any concrete sense. That if you're holding on to self-esteem, it's actually what's called conditional self-regard, which means that it's going to fluctuate with every sort of ebb and flow of life. So if let's say, you know, let's say you're in a particular group of people and, you know, you're considered to be the most intelligent right and then obviously you're like wow you know I feel phenomenal but then let's say and this happens a lot especially when let's say high achievers end up in little Ivy League schools and so then you're actually in a group of people where you might not be the dumbest right but the idea is that you're sort of in a higher class and you have to you have way more to prove than you did at this particular juncture of your life and so it becomes terrifying the idea is like oh my god what if I lose this level this label you know in this particular context I was this you know high achiever and I was incredibly intelligent and viewed as such but now I'm in this context that it's much, much, much harder to have and acquire that label. So I think for us, it's like when we talk about kind of the fear and the things that hold us back, a lot of times, I would say, if not all the time, it's literally this fear of viewing ourselves in the negative light. Well, um, for example, uh, that's very interesting what you said, because uh, if in one group of friends or people or colleagues, uh, you are the most intelligent, you go somewhere else, and uh, you're not, and then there's kind of an ebb and flow in your mm-hmm. self-esteem, um, that means that, the, for example, in that particular person's uh, experience, they are reacting to these uh, events or, or these groups of people. But ideally, um, I, I, I would just like to put this out there, um, this is easier said than done, but take it for what it is, uh, it's best not to react, Mm -hmm. to not resist these different um, circumstances, kind of uh, not necessarily a take things as they come attitude. Uh, You you should critically think about what's going on as well and all that, but um, I feel like that, that resistance or that reactive nature in us has so much to do with those success barriers. For instance, um, I, I don't, for, if you try to undertake something new and you experience that resistance, mm-hmm. you also um, may have a feeling inside of you to react in a, in a way where you may decide not to take that action. Mm-hmm. And that would be living in reaction. Right. Just to coin it, that's not really my term, but yeah. I've heard this thrown around yeah, before. Right. Mm-hmm. But Living in your sort of impulsivity, in a sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there, there's. Um, if you can recognize that these things are going on in you, I would say, for example, anyone listening, it's actually very possible to stay with that feeling of resistance and still undertake the task you need to take. And then you'd be so surprised where the very next moment, mm-hmm. you're not, you don't feel it anymore. Like for instance, uh, <laughs> Will Smith. Uh, was gonna go uh, went uh, bungee jump not bungee jumping um, jumped out of a plane skydiving skydiving mm-hmm. thank you went skydiving the day before skydiving he couldn't think about anything else but mm-hmm. the fact that he was gonna go skydiving okay. he was in complete fear I mm-hmm. uh, couldn't eat breakfast normally even though everything around him is normal every the circumstances mm-hmm. you really analyze it everything is completely fine right. but he's going nuts he can't. He doesn't. He doesn't feel. He can't sleep the night before as well. Mm-hmm. And that's to be expected. Like, see, even him. He's 
breaking it down for himself. He's, he's somebody who's very introspective. He likes to think about why he's feeling certain things or what's going on in life. So he'll, uh, he even broke it down even then. Even when you break these things down, you're still scared. It's still, yeah. it's not something that you uh, turn can turn off intellectually. However, by still staying with the fear, with that resistance, once you undertake that task, as he said, you're just flying. Mm -hmm. And then the moment he actually did the jump, mm -hmm. it was the most exhilarating thing ever. Mm -hmm. He felt fantastic. Relieved. He's looking around at the world as he's going down. And because uh, you're going to be falling for a while, mm -hmm. he thinks he feels like he's floating. It feels fantastic. Yeah. And all that fear from the day before is gone. And what did he do, essentially? He... <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about this with uh, William Irwin. Mm -hmm. But he... he in a sense, he his old self died, so that something new could emerge, yeah. and it's it's very uh, it's the most imp in my opinion, it's one of the most important things that any human can undertake. Any human, I feel like an alien talking about humans, <laughs> but any person can right. undertake. Mm -hmm. um, um, back to the podcast, for instance. Like, what's the goal? I mean, at least from my end, the goal is to make certain uh, concepts in. Psychology mainstream, digestible to the masses, right. and hopefully be one of the people who's creating uh, influence. Like having some kind of influence, kind of creates this little ripple yeah. that creates more ripples and kind of spreads like these kinds of ideas um, to people. Because a lot of things that go on with people, I feel like are on one level they're necessary, so that so we can understand why we feel this this way, mm -hmm. and we can talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. But another. From another way of looking at it, I feel like a lot of suffering that we experience, mm -hmm. uh, especially in relation to success barriers or right. success, mm -hmm. it feels unnecessary. And it's it's funny. It's like if, if you arm somebody with the tools, like, mm -hmm. just, how does your mind work? What do you experience when you're undertaking a new task? Mm -hmm. Uh, you oh okay you experience resistance oh I'm supposed to feel like this I didn't know I'm supposed to feel like this <laughs> right, wow right, uh -huh. I actually thought every time I feel like this I should not be doing this thing mm -hmm. you're telling me I'm supposed to feel like this okay this changes my relationship to this thing mm -hmm. that's only one little thing about right. success barriers mm -hmm. other things like about what we were just discussing right now labels right. if you know that um, or actually if you took a second to kind of observe what you think about during the day mm -hmm. You may notice that you might ha sometimes cycle either negatively. If it's positive, okay, great. It's a paradigm above what it was. But still, you might notice these little things. And once you become aware of these things, your entire relationship changes to what's going on. Yeah. You will be in that, uh, uh, the way you're describing. First, there's uh, the event and then how you would feel about the event. But you would actually be operating from that B level right. where you'd be kind of, I wouldn't say controlling, but definitely. But yes, I actually had that in mind too. I think yeah. that's what both of our sort of perspectives are, sort of what can be chalked up to. That now knowing these things that the individual, whomever it is, whoever you guys are, obviously out there who are listening, right, that the individual now feels in control. So if you, A, know that this is normal, right, and that you kind of, you can, it's okay if that you go to, or let's say that you go through whatever the endeavor is, despite the resistance, and then B, you understand that, oh, hey, it's actually the way I'm thinking about this, not the event in itself that's causing me to feel this way, then all of a sudden you've reached a whole new level of control and even if you do still continue to feel a certain way about it mm -hmm. at least knowing that you're supposed to feel right. that gives some kind of a comfort like comfort I, I didn't like for example there were uh, for the longest time I knew that um, okay I wanted to do something along the lines of this podcast before mm -hmm. Not necessarily I didn't know if I was gonna do a podcast or I was gonna do just YouTube videos or something like that that's what I was thinking about a long right. time ago mm -hmm. and I wouldn't do the videos mm -hmm. I had the well, more or less, I had the equipment. Mm -hmm. On some levels, I didn't, but that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, before even doing, it, I was like, "What am I going to talk about? Mm -hmm. I don't know." And then I kind of would have an idea of what I talk about. Then I'd start it just to see if I could start it, mm -hmm. and then I'd be like, eh, <laughs> oh, "Okay, I turn it off." <laughs> and then I'd be like, "Oh, welcome to the oh, I forgot what I was going to say." Like things like that, you know. <laughs> and uh, but. Somewhere down the line, when I continued, <laughs> when I continued to uh, like create 
videos, yeah. I, I, their, their a competency kind of came with it too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just um, fear. It was just like okay, now it's like it's like it's like the first step. Fear and resistance is. I feel like it's the first step. Yeah. To like get past. Apparently, there's this whole other world afterwards of like actually having skill and all this yeah. other stuff, which is hilarious. Right. I, I was like, I remember for the longest time when I got past the first thing of like uh, resistance to doing a task, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, fantastic. And then you get on the other side and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, and then you start looking around you at all the people who are already doing things and where they are and all that. And yeah. you're like, hmm, that was a long way to go. I did this, this, this level, I was consuming me my whole life. And yeah. then, yeah. Okay. And you know, sometimes it, since you kind of said that, and I like that idea of sort of the way we compare ourselves or just kind of just focusing on that a little bit, the way we compare ourselves to other people. And that's also kind of in my conception connected to labeling. I mean, the idea is that let's say this person is X, they're intelligent, they're beautiful, which is why they've achieved Y. I haven't achieved Y and they sort of go backwards, right? And since I haven't achieved Y, therefore I'm not all of these other things that they are. And so we sort of sometimes become in the sense of obviously in the theme of keeping with the theme of the show of being our own barriers. Sometimes what we do is we sort of go backwards and say that here's the evidence that this person is X and Y and because I'm not then that obviously means the negative right that means that I'm not these things and if I'm not these things then why would I even try wow you yeah. know what an idea just came mm. okay this reminds me of a Joe Rogan video mm. that I saw okay so for example if you're someone who's taken undertaken a task before mm-hmm. and you failed at that task mm-hmm. Back to the labels thing, you don't label yourself as a failure. Mm-hmm. It just means that one time you did something yep. and you didn't succeed at it or you didn't do it. Right. It doesn't mean you have to interpret that that much further in, right. that, in a way that stops you from taking that action. Again. Right, and just because I know that there are going to be some of you guys asking, well, then how do I do that, right? And again, going back to that idea of a thought record, right? Of, okay, if I'm globally speaking a failure, prove it. Prove to me that I'm a failure, right? And, you know, something you would say internally. And so the idea is if you're globally a failure, if that's an inherent part of who you are, that means every single thing that you've ever done has resulted in failure because that's just who you naturally are. And that's never true. Most people have at least a moderate amount of successes in their lives yeah so of course by developing the cognitive thought record mm-hmm. they would and I remember how much last time I couldn't say cognitive <laughs> yeah but cognitive thought record yeah by doing that you you break down your own view mm-hmm. which is fantastic yeah because it feels like things happen so fast there's momentum to your thoughts uh, and then these distractions are phones yeah all these things and it doesn't give you enough time to kind of break down what's kind of going on inside of you or what you even want to do. For instance, um, just in general, just even making a plan of action Mm -hmm. or writing down what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I first heard of that stuff, one, I didn't want to do it. I just, I was, I don't know. Actually, I don't want to put a label on it. I was Mm going to say, I was lazy. Not necessarily. I could have just... You're stuck in your habits. Or, yeah. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to say that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Yeah. but then I started seeing that there is a value to it. You, when you write down what you want to do, you almost give, um, it's almost as if you're a ship mm-hmm. and it's like you're steering, you actually know where to steer it yeah. because of this direction that you want to go. You, you write down these things that you want to do. Um, it feels like a lot, a lot of times that I didn't take action in life is I just didn't know what I wanted to do fully or I didn't know the next step. Mm-hmm. And I would just kind of meander in my feelings of not knowing instead of trying to maybe write down realistically, for example, if, if let's say, um, you know what, let's do an example of a, say want, somebody wants to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'll, you know what, why not? Uh, let's just, I'll just lay it out. So the program I'm using right now to record the, the podcast, it's called uh, Stream OBS uh, studio. You can Google that if you want. So that's that's the program where we're filming. Mm-hmm. Other thing, we have a mic. It's called the Blue Yeti mic. You can get that on Amazon.com. You don't necessarily have to go for this one. There are cheaper options, and they still work perfectly. So there's that. I have a webcam. I think it's a Logitech. Yeah, a Logitech uh, HD 1080p. Not the best thing in the world, but this thing's amazing. And <laughs> when it first came out, this was the best thing. So whatever. Um, 
And what do you what do you need to do? Okay, then you start filming. But then also you, before that, you maybe want to write down what you want to talk about. So this is not much that I wrote down. Mm -hmm. So this can tell you how much you really need to put on a piece of paper. So it's not even that bad. Uh, I wrote down a whole bunch of topics. What did I write down here? Barriers to success. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't even talk about this. Blame, blaming others. <laughs> okay. Uh, resistance, reaction, being proactive, labels. Okay. So here, okay. So not much written down here. And it's kind of like a little outline of what to talk about. And, it, and after that, we just kind of free flow. So yeah. it's not as much to write down. Um, and that's an example of just setting up a, like a podcast episode. There are other things I'm sure work in similar ways. If you kind of just even wrote down your plan of action, it would at least focus you. And that's one way to kind of help you with um, your road to your own version of your success. Mm -hmm. um, you know what, since I read that one little part though about blaming others. Uh -huh. um, so a lot of people, um, when they're trying to undertake, uh, when, when they're thinking about becoming successful in whatever arena, mm -hmm. a lot of times they like to point the finger at other people and say this is this person's the reason that I'm not able to move forward. Right. And a lot. By the way, um, this is a very what I'm about to say. So it's a very nuanced thing uh, because, for instance, if so let's say somebody was abused in their childhood, somebody has an abusive parent, or or some serious stuff is going on in let's say your household and all that. I'm not gonna say like okay, that's not a credible thing and that doesn't affect you in certain ways and all that. Um, so if you are trying to undertake things and you have things like that going on in your life, um, you know, that, that fair enough. But also at the same time, uh, just to put this point out there, whenever you are pointing the finger at someone else, um, this saying is uh, so stupid and so old but so true. Uh, whenever you're pointing a finger at someone else, you have like uh, four or looks like three oh, yeah, yeah, pointing yeah. at yourself. All right. And the thing is, uh, I would say always point the finger at yourself. Like take responsibility for everything, for everything that goes on in your life, your your entire um, perspective of, of uh, what's going on, um, how you relate to everything. Because back to interpreting um, reality, it's it's your interpretation kind of determines your relationship to these events that happen yeah. so yes things happen and it's outside of your control but one thing that is inside of your control and i believe marcus aurelius talks about this is your reaction to those things yeah. choosing as victor frankel would say choosing one's way right that's yeah. something that's something that would, that's always on us and this is a person who i mean survived auschwitz so yeah. I, I mean I, the way i think of it and this is not to devalue anybody else's struggle but it's like holy shit if this guy can remind himself that he has the ability to react in whatever way he wants to and sort of maintain his sanity within literal just terror sheer just sheer horror and terror then i mean i really think that most of us can do it too 100 percent. and one one thing that's interesting is um I do understand that everyone's uh, suffering, or mm -hmm. everyone's, or the thing, or challenges that people undertake. Right. It's relative. Yeah. But what is interesting about everyone's challenges, I, this is going to be an idea I've not really heard put out there. Mm -hmm. This is going to just be my own personal idea. Mm -hmm. but I feel like there are these certain um, triggers or buttons that are kind of pushed inside of you mm -hmm. in relation to these tasks or struggles that you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And that no matter what struggle or task you are experiencing, someone else with, even though it may be a different struggle or task, mm -hmm. those same buttons or triggers are being pushed in them as well. Yeah. So I would say, what I want to say, I, I feel like there's, there are ways to structure your way out of those not out of those challenges, but structure your uh, yourself or your uh, conditions in a way that puts you at a better vantage point to deal with um, the challenges that you're undertaking or that you want to undertake. Mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, get deeper on that idea as we do more uh, podcasts. Right now, it's um, I want to stick to... Yeah, how this relates to success barriers. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to end that uh, little thought there. But there's more I want to say about it in a future podcast. Yeah. But um, 
But I like your idea in terms of kind of not blaming others. So sometimes, yeah. sometimes like, let's say, like, what I tell my clients is that it's not so much about, let's say, whether the other person, let's say, does or does not deserve blame, right? That's not really the point. The point is that you, right? You who is essentially the star of our show here, right? My client, right? How does that serve you, blaming this particular person? So it's never to sort of negate any particular trauma that's occurred. It's not, my point is not to say, like, just, you know, just shut up, like, you know, you're, it's over, right? Never. My point is that okay if we're going to continuously focus on the past you tell me how that's helpful or beneficial to you if you see sort of a way out for yourself through this or if you let's say see this as a kind of uh, as a let's say as a not a starting point but as a sort of platform for you to achieve something wonderful then please i mean let's talk about it but if not then i mean how is it that let's say blaming x for whatever happened to you how has that been beneficial to you or how is that going to help you in terms of what it is that you want to achieve so sometimes they would respond by saying something along the lines of well that person doesn't deserve forgiveness and I would say yeah absolutely of course they don't deserve forgiveness but how does it benefit you holding on to that hatred of them and sometimes the kind of conclusion that they will come to is well it actually it doesn't then I say right because the anger and the hatred what it does is it's corrosive meaning that it sort of it puts you in this sort of self-imposed bubble and it prevents you from doing anything that you want to or kind of achieving anything that you want to achieve plus it, it here's the thing especially if you're starting out from from the beginning mm -hmm. with whatever task you're taking, yeah. those kinds of things use up too much mental, too many yeah. mental resources, too much uh, mental capital. Yeah. It's like while you're spending time uh, pointing the finger or blaming somebody, um, somebody else who's, and this is not, I, I listen, I don't wanna, uh, if somebody is having a rough time mm -hmm. at it, for real, um, definitely you have my support, Leon's support, and if we ever talk about anything that can help you with whatever issue you mm -hmm. might have, absolutely. If you don't have any issues, you're just listening for fun, then what I'm about to say will also make sense. Whenever you're uh, choosing to blame somebody, all that, another person who's kind of mastered their own emotions and how they feel, they're not doing that. They're using all their time to work on whatever task they're, t right. they're trying to do and probably creating more of a quality, uh, uh, whatever it is, quality product or, yeah. or, or dealing with whatever it is that they're trying to deal with with more uh, focus. And zest, right. Zest. Mm -hmm. Determination. I mean, yeah. yeah. These are all pretty... These are all pretty kind of good adjectives to describe people who are sort of, they're, they're, they're driven essentially. And so, I mean, the thing is, and the biggest shame, and this is, I think, um, kind of like in terms of sort of like, a, I guess, a platitudes, but I think this is like a really good one. So I try to sort of tell my clients that like, look, you know, what's done and what happened to you was absolutely not your fault. And it was absolutely tragic. But this person who did this horrific thing to you, my question is always to them, like, are you going to really allow them, even though they've already sort of tormented and poisoned your past are you going to allow them to do the same thing to your present and future because they're not here anymore you are right and the thing is that memory of them or that belief about them is allowing you right to essentially or is pretty much causing you to sort of to corrode your own present your own future and your own sort of let's say determination or drive and I always ask them like if this person has already taken away so much from you why allow, why allow them to take away that much more that's true yeah um, I have a this one's a little bit of a tangent, side tangent here. Mm -hmm. um, when you're talking to some of your clients and they're uh, reliving a lot of these things from their past, mm -hmm. is it would probably be really uh, not, because here's the thing, obviously you have to speak with tact, so this way they don't lose their, they don't get overly emotional right. and you're not able to continue the conversation mm -hmm. with them, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't help to like say to them that whatever they're thinking is kind of like it, it's like a kind of like a real like a mental construct or anything like it does is, is that well weird? technically it for a while it depends right because it's just, not happening now right they're, they're making their memor they're remembering mm -hmm. it now yeah but I mean, he, here's also the thing. I mean, a lot, most of the time, I would say they already know that. I mean, yeah. that's why they come in, right? So they would come in. Let's say if they have PTSD, they would say something like, you know, I have flashbacks and nightmares. So I mean, they're not infants. They know that it's not real anymore. It's just you know the memory of it that keeps haunting them. I hear you, but um, like, uh, I wonder if there's a way to explain mm -hmm. that idea mm -hmm. about 
Because here's the thing. Yeah, I'm sure logically somebody who was experiencing that could be like, no, no, I understand. Well, what do you suppose the rebuttal could be? Sorry? It's like, what would the rebuttal be? Like, if, let's say, hypothetically, I were to say something like that, what do you think that they could respond with? Like, as They might say, like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. uh, this thing that happened is, is really serious. Mm-hmm. This this was uh, something that impacted my whole entire life. Yep. Like, where you're just gonna, trying to tell me, just don't think about it? Right. And see, so that's an over-interpretation of what I said. Right. So my point, and I, I will kind of go back to this again. And I would ask, first, I would ask them, okay, so like, is that the way that you perceived what I said? Right. And so they might say, yeah, well, of course. I mean, you're telling me this, that it's not important. And I would ask them, okay, so like, what's the evidence of that? Right. And they would say something along the lines of, well, you just said, um, you essentially said that like um that this is a memory that it's only impacting me let's say maybe because i allow it to and let's say how much further should i allow it to and i would say right and so when did i ever say that that is insignificant or that that doesn't matter what i'm pointing to is essentially the diagnosis of the problem there's no sort of moral value here not no more moral is not even the right term but there's no um there's no there's no value here, right? There's no value in terms of significance. But what I am saying is that this is pretty much the cause of your problems, right? It's like the nightmares, the flashbacks, right? The fact that maybe there are ruminations, right? These are, this is essentially the diagnosis or the diagnosis of which if we combine it together would counter, or not counter, would count as a post-traumatic stress disorder, right? But that's not to devalue it in any sort of way. And I would make sure that that's, it, but that's noted. And I love that you brought that up because I've actually had people misinterpret things that I've said to them in the oh, past. Of course. Yeah, and, I mean, no, and, it's, and it's very similar. Yeah, and it's very similar to that. So the, what I would do is I would kind of bring it back to them and I would ask, okay, so you prove it to me, right? Not in that way, but I would ask, okay, so like, what is the evidence of that? What is the evidence that that I was devaluing this particular thought. And they might think about it and say, mm, yeah, I guess that actually doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, right. There you go. Uh, um, as far as uh, success barriers, mm-hmm. back to that. Um, I would say, so So what did we uh, cover so far? If you feel a resistance, yep. that's completely natural. Yep. Go with it anyway. Mm-hmm. Take on the task. Yep. Fear of losing labels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Labels. They're very, very important to kind of uh, determine how you may even approach these tasks that you, you need to take on or that you feel you should be taking on or objectively you should be taking on. Right. Okay. Um, blaming others mm-hmm. as, a, as a way to not take action. Yep. Definitely advise against that. Mm-hmm. Always take full responsibility no matter how hard it is. It's your interpretation of things that determines your relationship to life and, and those things. Yep. Um, so, and also your environment's important, and we discussed that. Yep. The people around you and, may and it, push you to... Yep. And I think just kind of like to, and I think this would be a pretty important addition in terms of, let's say, in terms of kind of mitigating, you know, those barriers to success, or let's say of improving kind of let's say the likelihood that you'll be successful i think it's also a shift in your perspective of who you are as a person so when we come back to rabt and when we go back to albert ellis the idea is essentially that okay if let's say kind of we have this one idea that's self-esteem what let's say that's also kind of alternatively called conditional self-regard what is the alternative to that right and that's i'm not sure a question a lot of you guys are going to have of okay so if i don't use these labels then what the hell am i left with and what's the point and so albert has this really 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 great idea especially in the context of success where he would say that okay so don't label yourself right but label your thoughts your feelings and your actions in light or in connection to how conducive they are to your success so if let's say action a was such right and action a produced the result that i was looking for then action a was successful if action a produced let's say the opposite result or something just let's say or not the result most importantly Mm -hmm. then essentially option a is not successful where he says for him right it makes more logical sense so philosophically speaking we can't defend labels for people right because we can't defend that i'm a failure i'm a success i'm intelligent i'm beautiful because what that means is that you're these things all of the time we can never defend that behaviors and labeling behaviors thoughts feelings we can defend because we can say that yeah this behavior was unsuccessful obviously didn't work we can say that this thought 
let's say, wasn't helpful in any sort of way. It actually was detrimental because it caused me to avoid this particular thing that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So for Ellis, right, he kind of switches it over and says the solution is labeling, but not in the way that we're used to it. Mm -hmm. It's actually labeling thoughts, feelings, and behaviors instead, right? So, but then the question is always going to be at, as we get to the sort of core and the main layer of all of this is, okay, but then what happens to us? How the hell do we see ourselves? And so Alice would argue for something called unconditional self-regard. So he says that we have sort of one of two choices, right? That we can either, let's say, not value ourselves at all, because technically speaking and objectively speaking, there's no such thing as value or human value. It just doesn't really exist in any sort of kind of global sense. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't, right, then the idea is, okay, none of us are valuable. And that's absolutely okay because we don't have to be. We can still like and love and care for each other without needing to be valuable because value doesn't exist and that's all right. Or the alternative, he says, is that, look, he says, I get it. Some people really still want to feel like they're valuable. For them, that's important. That's absolutely okay. So what you can do is you can first figure out what your values are and what's important in order for you to perceive yourself as a valuable and good person and then try to live up to them. Mm -hmm. Try as best as you can to live up to them so you can say, you know what, I'm repossessing and I'm redefining my own value based on my own system of values. Mm -hmm. But for him, he actually argues for the first because he says that there are kind of some tricks in the second one, especially when it becomes really difficult or it can become very difficult for you to try to live up to your values because life is so complex that we can't really be or sort of, um, let's say, be aligned with our morals every single second of the day. So he says we can get into some tricky territory, although that's a way better alternative than self-regard but for him he says that like look accept the fact that you're gonna try as hard as you can that you're just a human being like I am and like everyone else is and that there's no such thing as value nobody is valuable nobody ever has been valuable nobody ever will be valuable and that's fucking okay because we're all human beings well, what would you say to this um, this is a very simple idea I am proceeds I am this or that mm -hmm. It's very simple. I don't know on what level, uh, for example, someone from the audience might, uh, how they would take that. Mm -hmm. um, but for instance, uh, bringing back that book I read, for instance, Power of Now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so that uh, I am, mm -hmm. that's just when he says that in the, in the book, it's referring to I am uh, consciousness. I am aware right. of what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, I am this or that, I am good, I am bad, all that, that's when you start to uh, put who you are, at least according to him, into kind of like a box, yeah. into a mental construct, mm -hmm. which takes you away from who you actually are. Um, so, I mean, take that for what you will if someone's listening in the audience, but um, I think that for me that was very useful mm -hmm. because when um, I thought about who am I without all these labels, without uh, any of my conditioning or uh, anything that's ever happened to me in my life, anything, who, just I am, and then even silence yes. like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was actually very helpful f uh, for me when trying to, at least in relation to what we're talking about, take on new kinds of goals. Yeah. Because that you want to call it a realization? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a realization. I feel I, like it's... I, actually, I feel like that's something that you I mean, do constantly. Or it's a process that you kind of under... Like, for example, every time you're aware that mm -hmm. just uh, I am without all these labels and all that... Oh, wow. Okay, the time. Okay, we're, we're getting there. We're going. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, when you realize that you're not this, you're not that, you don't have to go with any particular label or interpretation, although having a, an interpretation mm -hmm. uh, that is in your benefit all still while um, being logical and all that, you don't want to have a delusional interpretation, right. I suppose. But I, I really like your idea, and I think it's very similar to what Alice had in mind with unconditional self-regard, where the idea is that sort of I accept myself and I sort of maybe even love myself just because I am who I am. That's that's really it. Yeah, and, and beyond that, it, it's interesting. For example, anytime I am conscious of this, mm -hmm. uh, just I am, mm -hmm. and then that's it. Yeah. A lot of things don't uh, impede my ability to undertake like a certain kind of task. Or actually, that's a little bit incorrect. If nothing extra will come in to impede the task. Yeah. I will still feel, 
for instance, some kind of a, for example, say, say we're going to go dancing tonight, mm-hmm. and there's girls and all this, and da, 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 yeah. da, all Oh, that. I forgot to tell you. What? <laughs> they were going dancing. Oh my <laughs> god. No, I'm just playing. Uh, so, let's say it's that kind of night. I wasn't prepared to go out. Yeah. I'm going to be at home. I'm going to uh, read a book, watch a video, uh, maybe, you know. Right. Something else, mm-hmm. all that. Not mm-hmm. to get into too many details. Right. <laughs> and I'm expecting something else, all that, that comes in, and then I will get the feeling of like, uh, whoa, what's this night going to be like? Mm-hmm. Something like that. But the moment I do go out and I do go dance or something like that, again, just like with Will Smith jumping out of the plane, mm-hmm. it's completely freeing, you, you go do it, and it's good. The uh, thing is, why did, I, why did I bring that up? For instance, when that comes up, I won't think anything extra. Yeah, I won't allow it. You know, it's something that you have to be very um, uh, kind of. You don't have to be commanding of it, but I would say that you you do want to control how you think about things. Right. Maybe not too much that could cause mental fatigue, perhaps mm-hmm. too much thinking about it. But the more you practice it, the more competent you get at doing that. But. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I love these ideas, and I think that kind of everything that we talked about, or at least most of them, kind of meshed, right? I feel like we sort of, the, our ideas complemented one another, which was really cool. Yeah, so, so it's always fun. I like, yeah. I like whenever there's like a flow. Yes, right, just like our first episode. All right, guys. Well, we need time to wrap things up. So, I mean, obviously, we've, uh, we've already oh, got yeah. a few. We want to promote our friend's uh, burger place. It's called Stock. Yes. Uh, it's is amazing it's uh by uh it's in brooklyn if you're not from brooklyn that's that's fine it's brooklyn uh, around 7th avenue you can definitely google it stocked burgers yeah and they have phenomenal vegan burger for you guys the vegan impossible yeah. burger. yes 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 for vegan burgers for, for you guys who are not obviously sort of meat eaters and then i also wanted to promote a really great sort of therapist directory which is called team avo and oh. short for avocado and so what's really cool about them is they're sort of like um let's say they're well they're a matching service so for anybody who's looking for a therapist and so a client or a prospective client would essentially kind of sign up for it and they would actually work in terms of let's say kind of hitting the points of what you're looking for in a therapist they will work to match you with somebody kind of like tinder and so obviously you could turn the match down if let's say if you let's say they find somebody or a prospective kind of really yeah so they would look for prospective therapists and for therapists they would look for prospective clients and so both have to accept in order for them to be matched that's almost genius yeah actually not even almost i think that is genius right. because you do worry about that like is this therapist somebody yes. i can kind of mesh with right so and based on questionnaires from the clients or for the clients they essentially get to pick like uh or they essentially get matched with a therapist that best meets those let's say those answers and so but they could still even turn their therapist down if for whatever reason that they don't like them and then kind of try to rematch with someone else so i thought it was like this really great idea so for any of you guys that are finding it hard to find a therapist especially in the new york city area which i mean from my perspective it seems like a lot of people struggle with so i would definitely check out teamavo.com and i mean I think you guys would really be matched up with great people. And I have one last thing to promote. Shoot. Uh, this one I didn't tell you about before. Okay. But I think you'll be cool with it. Okay. It's called uh, Julie's Tutorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, my friend, uh, her name is Afreen Julie. Uh, she teaches uh, and prepares students for um, exams like in high school, SHSAT and other such exams and also with homework and all that. And uh, yeah, they just opened up a new location in Brooklyn. Again, it's called Julie's Tutorial, J-U-L-I-S, Tutorial. (laughs) And you can find that on Google. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, guys, check us out, please, on the O4L online network, home of hip-hop legends, The Outlaws. And for all of you guys who don't know, but I'm sure a bunch of you do, so The Outlaws were Tupac Shakur's rap group. And so you can find our, let's say, our podcast exclusively on their network. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And tune in next week when we will have the great William Irvin. Yes. Have a good day, guys. Have a great weekend.